welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premium motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name is Ray here and flying solo for this episode. Well, kind of anyway. I'm sitting in a cafe in Hanui. So I walk outside to a, a pretty good morning here in the Wellington region. And I'm meeting up with Paul Kane. Now, Paul Kane is an IAM rider. If you haven't heard of IAM, you'll find out a bit more about them throughout this podcast. And we're going on a observed ride. We're going to find out just how good my riding skills are and how safe my riding skills are. Uh, we're going to get a few tips as we roll through the podcast. Uh, and we'll, as I said, find out more about IAM. Now, I know this much. They're a registered charitable trust in New Zealand, and they work to upskill riders and drivers. So uh, I'm going to go get a coffee, and as soon as Paul arrives, we'll get on the bikes and we'll go for a ride. My name is Paul Kean. I am an observer with the Institute of Advanced Motorists. And today I'm taking you out for an observed ride. Uh, we're currently at Ground Up Cafe in Palatinui. They're very biker friendly. They do an amazing cup of coffee and some great food. So there's a little, a little plug. I'm Ray, and I'm probably the world's worst rider. No, I'm joking. Uh, I've got about 130k range, maybe a little bit more depending on what uh, kind of riding we do. Shall I get gas in? Mana, Plymouth and area, or shall we just carry on? I think that will be plenty for what we're doing today. Okay. So when you're ready, Ray, if you would uh, join traffic and make a right turn heading towards uh, the Hayward Road, please. So just to let people know what I'm doing, I'm, uh, I'm following behind Ray here, and I'm trying to, what we call, observe his riding behaviours. The idea is that we'll give him some effectively peer feedback on what it is that he's doing. And yeah, and I just want to get a sense of uh, how Ray rides. I'm going to be paying attention to things like his positioning coming up to an intersection, uh, how much attention he's paying to what's going on at those intersections, so that when we join the flow of traffic, how he's uh, negotiating corners, his speed management, his use of uh, signaling, how he's taking in information about what's going on around him. So far, he's doing really well. Well, that's good to hear. So you're from IAM, is it? The, that's the name of the organisation. Yeah, Can you tell the, us a little bit about IAM and what they get up to? So IAM or IAM Road Smart, as is our, our trading name, I guess, is uh, the Institute of Advanced Motorists. It's an organisation that originated in the United Kingdom. It uses a system of vehicle control uh, called Roadcraft, which we don't own or, or it doesn't belong to us, but it's uh, a system that was originated by the uh, UK police force how to properly manage a vehicle so irrespective of whether it's a motorcycle or a car it's a, it's a system of working through a process of making decisions when you're using a vehicle on the road at this roundabout we're going to go straight through please so I am as a voluntary organization and we uh, basically coach people in the use of roadcraft with the ultimate aim of making better and therefore safer drivers and riders. Uh, and we do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Straight through again, please. So we don't operate as instructors, uh, but our observers have gone through a training process, and that's how to, to manage uh, what we call an associate. So an associate is someone who has joined uh, the organization. They're a financial 
official member and receive all the benefits that come with membership, but they have as yet to pass their advanced test in either car or motorcycle, and we do have a heavy vehicle division, although that's very small in the New Zealand context. At the end of the road, please turn left. And he stopped at the stop sign. That's impressive. So one of the things that I'm, uh, in terms of an observation that I'll make, it's fairly clear that uh, you've gone through the CBTA licensing system that we have in New Zealand. Okay, and what, what, what are the telltale signs there? The telltale signs come from the fact that the CBTA system has Roadcraft heavily embedded in it, that a lot of the principles that Roadcraft will call for uh, can be demonstrated in some of the things that you're doing. So for instance, uh, you do actually stop at a stop sign uh, in, or rather than shooting through, but uh, some of the more subtle things, like your choice of lean position when we're negotiating some of these corners, is that you seem to be choosing a position for visibility rather than a position for out-and-out speed or the race line as it's sometimes known. So for instance, when we're negotiating a right-hand turn, you're actually positioning the bike more towards the left-hand side of the lane. What I would say is that your following distance is a little short. So what we're looking for here is the maintenance of a safety level. So the roadcraft system uh, has a number of priorities, and probably the top priority is the preservation of your safety level. So we will do that by doing a number of things. So we maintain a good following distance. We're constantly scanning, taking in information. Uh, we're doing head checks when they're appropriate. And we're taking, using, and giving information uh, as we're moving along the road. So a good safety margin in terms of a following distance, you go by what the instructors talk about, you know, only a fool breaks the two-second rule. So in good conditions, you should be allowing a, 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 a gap of two seconds between yourself and the vehicle in front. So as they pass a fixed point on the road, count 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, and you should not have passed that fixed point until you've completed the count. Okay, so let's let's give that a go right now. So let's wait till he gets to a point. 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, oh, we're good. Yeah. So that's better, but the reason why this gap is better is that our speed has dropped by 30 kilometers an hour. Okay, so your gap hasn't increased a huge amount, but we've dropped our speed by 30 kilometers an hour, so all of a sudden you're at an appropriate distance. So you were probably sitting about a second off that guy's tail when we were doing about 70, 75. So at 70, 75 kilometers an hour, and you've got a second, by the time you've thought about braking, if something happens, you're already into the back of that vehicle. So the nice thing about the two-second rule is that it doesn't matter what speed you're at. If you've followed the two-second rule, you will always be at an appropriate distance. So one of the other things about roadcraft is that we like people to take, use, and give information. So I see your head moving around, which is a great thing to see, because if you don't move your head, you can't let your eyes focus on what's going on around you, and you can't take in information. You're also trying to give information, so you've been so far pretty good with your signaling, but what you're not necessarily doing is combining that information and giving just to do the final little checks before you complete the maneuver. So you mentioned before we started the ride that you perhaps have a tendency to miss out on some head checks. Mm -hmm. So we will be looking for you to do a little bit more head checking uh, when it comes to intersections. So just before you would commit to making that turn, 
turn to changing lean. You need to be turning your head on your shoulders, checking that blind spot because you really can't assume that nothing else has changed since you last had a look in your mirrors. So you're looking for people coming up beside you, absolutely. Uh, people in the in the lane beside you if you're changing lanes, that yeah. sort of thing. Absolutely. So uh, if you've taken, uh, for instance, a position towards the right-hand side of a lane because you're going to turn right at an intersection, you might have a car who's in a bit of a hurry and they decide to come up alongside you and they're going to make the right turn as well. And if you take a wide line then to negotiate that corner and you don't know that the car is there, things could go badly wrong. So we're going to take a right here and we're going to turn back towards Mana. You're also in an urban environment, you're concerned about things like people on pushbikes. Not that we're going to berate bicycle riders. They have as much right to be in the road as we do, but we do need to be aware of when they're there. So a specific example would have been just as you're coming off that roundabout, a last, um, little, head, a last little head check just to make sure that nothing has changed behind you, if that makes sense. And the CBTI guys want to see your chin on your shoulder, right? Yes, yeah. So obviously from an observing point of view, I have to see what's going on if, I can get, if I'm going to give you any feedback on it. Uh, so if you're turning your eyes, well then obviously I can't see that because all I can see is the back of your helmet. Uh, but if you're actually turning your head, uh, then I can tell whether or not you've, you've done the check. So yes, the chin on the shoulder is, is, a, is a good way to express that. So what I'm seeing here at the minute, we're driving along uh, Mana, uh, the main drag, and I'm seeing a very nice lane position because you're sitting in the central position of the lane. You're owning the lane. You're being very clear that this is your lane, uh, and you're maintaining a very nice following distance between you and the vehicle in front, which is good to see. You brought the bike to a stop on the front brake, which is not a criminal offence, but it means for marginally less control. So we would encourage you to bring the bike to a stop using the rear brake. It just has a finer measure of control at those slower speeds. One thing you could do when you're coming to a stop is uh, have a little bit of a look in your rear view mirror, see what's coming up behind you. Oh, what you're I've got this there. guy. I got this guy in a GS right up. Oh yeah, those yeah, those damn double your riders. You'll be lucky if he uses his indicator. <laughs> so something else that we'll talk about in observe ride is we'll ask people what they're observing up in front. So when you will be riding along, can you tell me how far ahead you would normally be looking? I'm generally looking towards the closest um, hazard, so in this case the red car, but also keeping an eye out to the, um, I guess what you call the vanishing point of the uh, of the corner in front of me, or the, you know, further up the road. That's good. So, uh, you know, anything from, from wheelie bins blowing out across the road, or potentially that could happen, to uh, the truck coming towards us right now in the opposite lane, uh, vehicles reversing out of driveways, or vehicles coming out of intersections. These are the things I'm, I'm thinking of. Is there yeah. anything else that I'm missing there? No, those, those are all good things. So what that's, what that's telling me is that you're shifting your focus uh, to the far ground, to the middle ground, to the what's right in front of you. And that's really good practice. If you're just tootling along, even in, we're going to make a right turn here. If you're just tootling along, uh, even if it's in a 50k zone, and all you're doing is paying attention to the vehicle right in front of you, that's really not giving yourself the best 
preparation or anticipation of what may be going to change or what's happening. Whereas if your eyes are constantly moving around and you're changing your focus, that's great. That's that's a really good habit to, to have. So we're now sitting at the intersection of State Highway 1 and Grays Road, about to head back towards Pawata Hanoi. People can almost feel the excitement as we're waiting to make this turn. I'm also impressed that even though the road was clear, you're waiting for the green filter light. That's good. So a wee head check there as we come around would be good. I will get this across to you. Mm-hmm. Bring it. Yeah. So, just just for clarification, you yeah. turned right into that intersection. You wanted a yeah. head check right or left? Right. Just as you're right. coming across, you're wanting a head check right. That's the classic situation where you're waiting for a push bike. So when you're going from a standstill, a push bike may have been able to get himself up, tucked in behind you, not visible in your mirror. He's going to cut across, he's going to be manoeuvrable, but he's not going to be that fast. Uh, and you just want to make a little last minute check that nothing is changing as you make that transition across. Again, I'm seeing really good uh, choice of lane position there. So on a left-hand turn, you're coming out nice and wide. You're moving closer to the center line. And that means you can see through more of the corner, or see through the corner better, and get a, a better uh, vision of what's going on. Have you ever heard of the expression SSV? Not in a motorcycle riding uh, context. Right. So SSV is an acronym that we use in roadcraft that refers to how we make our choice with respect to lane position. So on a nice day like this, on a reasonably good surface, uh, we will, as a matter of course, on a left-hand bend, we'll be more uh, towards uh, the center line, uh, position three. If we've got three positions on the lane, one being closest to the fog line, two is the center of the lane, number three is closer to the, uh, the, 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 the central line dividing the two lanes traffic. Uh, so on a left-hander, you'll be in a position three. On a right-hander, you'll tend to be in position one. But that's not set in stone. What we do is we prioritize our lane position using what we call uh, SSV. So we're looking for safety, stability of the motorcycle, and visibility in that order of priority. So if, for example, we're this is a right-hander, we're now negotiating, and if you were to be looking ahead at that right-hander that, that is approaching and you see that there is a pothole or some gravel or diesel or something like that, which is sitting in that uh, position one line as we go around the corner, yes, you would get better visibility by taking that line, but you would compromise the stability of the motorcycle by going through that gravel, that pothole, that diesel. So it's common sense, really. But what Roadcraft does is that it takes those common sense things and gives you a systematic approach to making your decisions. So you don't rigidly this lane position each time you go around that corner. You're taking into account what is going on in terms of the prevailing conditions. So if you're coming around approaching 
this right hand corner now where we've got a driveway emerging from it yeah mm -hmm. and you were to see a vehicle sitting ready to join the traffic there the last thing you want to be doing is putting yourself closer to that potential hazard so last position one gives you the best visibility and there's no compromise to stability it does compromise your safety and that's our top priority so in that situation your line would actually probably take you closer to position three even though you're going around a right hand corner because the, 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 the most immediate risk is that car that is about to join the flow of traffic and you want to put as much distance between yourself and it does that make sense fair enough yes a lot to take in but as i say it's it's mostly common sense we're not we haven't reinvented anything we're not talking about reinventing the wheel we're not talking about things that people who might be listening say oh, I, I do that anyway if you're doing it anyway great if you're not doing it maybe you should think about it so when you're breaking the road, the lane that you're in, into three, mm -hmm. you're talking, say, the left-hand wheel track would be zone one. Yes. The, the middle of the road where there's no wheel tracks would be zone two. Yes. And the right-hand wheel track would be zone three. That's correct. So now in a right-hand bend, the ideal position is uh, uh, zone one, unless something is there that will compromise the stability of the bike or compromise your safety in some way. So SSV safety, stability, visibility. So when you're approaching a corner or approaching uh, an intersection or anything where uh, you've got to put some input into the machine and you're trying to make a decision about where you position on the road, that's the, that's the process that you step through in order to, to make that decision. So we're now approaching the end of Grays Road, and this is, comes a little bit more of the fun stuff. So we're going to turn left and head up towards the uh, the lookout point at Patsunui, or Pycock, that's it. Pycockariki Hill Road. I had forgotten where I was, isn't that terrible? And anyone in the region, and even people outside the region, will probably know this, uh, this lookout and this road, although we're not going up Pycockariki Hill Road. Oh, oh, aren't we? Oh, oh, we are. I thought we oh, were yeah. up. We're going towards Paikakariki, yes. Well, what would you call the the more fun section of the road, from Paikakariki up to the top of the hill, or from the lookout to uh, Power to Hanoi? Oh, it's all fun. It's all fun. It depends. It depends on the direction that you're going. Uh, some sections of the road are more fun than others if you're going. Going uphill is always more fun, I think. But going downhill can be good fun if you've got your technique right. Does that answer your question? So I'm standing here on a stationary motorcycle, first gear, clutch in, brake on. Have you, is there a preference as to which leg is down? I mean, obviously my right leg is down now, and I can click into a different gear, but I don't need to. If I put my left foot down, I can get my foot, right foot on the brake, right? Is, that, is, this, is there anything in that, or is that just me overthinking things? Um... No, you're not overthinking. It, 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 the answer is it depends, and that's usually the answer that we give to associates is it depends. <laughs> um, so if you've come to a stop uh, and you, uh, you're at an intersection, the stop sign, traffic lights, that was a uh, uh, traffic management stop go, so there's a gentleman there with a, a sign saying stop, and you weren't going anywhere until he turned that round and it said go. So you were stopped with a line of traffic behind you that was all 
safely at a stop. That would be perfectly acceptable at that point to snick the bike into neutral and give your left hand a rest. Uh, that being the case, you'd probably be better with your right foot down and your left foot on the peg so that as soon as he turns the sign, uh, you're ready to uh, go into first gear and move off. If you're at a stop sign, uh, and it's just a regular flow of traffic and you've approached and you stopped at the stop sign ideally uh, you would have your right foot up on the peg you would be holding the bike on the rear brake and your bike would already be in first gear so you'd be in first gear by the time you've brought the machine to a stop and you're ready to move off when it's safe to do so so it depends is, is, the, is the answer and indeed most of the road that we've just been on for this ride are, are really good examples of why choice of lane position can be, uh, particularly when cornering, can be quite influential in terms of your continued safety. Uh, I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with the idea of uh, drivers who come round a corner and aren't quite able to negotiate that corner while staying on their side of the road. And if you uh, maintain a good lane position, so we're now approaching this right-hander, you're probably in two, position two to three there until I started talking about it, and you probably well, were thinking yeah, more about I, it. I'm no, I'm looking at this these patches in the road, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I want to ride over some of them, especially considering the dirt and muck that's on them right. from the diggers and stuff. Absolutely. So, so talk to me more about that. So, at the moment, uh, position one and position two are covered by uh, uh, tarmac. You know that flat pack black stuff. Yeah. Uh, position three is is the, what looks to be the original stretch of road. So the road's been repaired, mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm, I should be into this right-hand corner, probably in position one, but position one with the new stretch of tarmac on it doesn't look all that inviting. It looks like it might have some slippery surface or uh, un uneven surface on it. I'm thinking position two to position three is a better option Absolutely. for stability. That's, that's spot on. So that's a case of you're stepping through. You might not think of it in those terms, but you're stepping through the safety, stability, visibility uh, priority list. So you're thinking, I want the tires to have the maximum opportunity to get some grip, uh, so I'm going to choose my position where I've got the maximum safety uh, and stability of the machine. So I'm not going to compromise those things in order to get a better view around the corner. Is there any other element to that decision-making process that you might have to take into account, though? Drop the speed and, and keep the eyes up, really, yeah. Abs absolutely. So sometimes it's better to drop the speed. So it's not that we're saying to people you have to ride around like a nana, but I don't know about you, I would prefer to be able to ride again another day. So for the purposes of maintaining the likelihood of that happening, sometimes it's better just to be a wee bit more gentle with the right hand. Drop that speed a wee bit more. You've, you've maximized the safety and stability of the machine. You've given yourself a bit more time to react to something that might happen as you negotiate that corner because you're not going around it as fast as you might otherwise have done. So, yeah, that's you're, you're already beginning to think like an advanced rider, and he didn't even pay me to say that. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Chicks in the mail. So, tell me a little bit again about where you're looking at this point. Uh, slight right hander. I'm looking at the um, after I've 
initially I'm looking at the ground in front of me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 10 metres or so ahead, and then off to the vanishing point at the corner. Uh, we're into a straight now. There's a, what seems to be a little bit of a bridge or something, maybe a drop-off on the right side of the road and a crest. I'm looking at that. I'm looking as far ahead as I can. Now I'm looking at the oncoming vehicle. But as far as ahead as I can, and the driveway on the left, see if there's any vehicles coming down there. Would you believe that when people come along to us and say, hey, uh, I want to see if there's anything about my riding that I can improve, probably 80% of people, the feedback that we give them is that they're not looking far enough ahead. That's probably the single biggest change that people can make in terms of their riding. Are you looking far enough ahead? At the moment, I'm looking at the vanishing point of the road, so I don't think I can look any further. Well, if you're looking as far ahead as you can, then that's far enough ahead, yes. I'm also looking behind me at this uh, BMW and a Ford Territory behind you. So there is a conversation that we could have. How do you cope with tailgaters? Personally, uh, if they hit me, they're in the wrong. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be hurt, but if they hit me, they're in the wrong. So it's all about how safe I feel in the posi- in the position that I'm in. If they're there for a substantial amount of time or they're right up behind me, then I'm likely to pull over and let them go. Uh, because when I'm on the road, I'm using the road and I'm doing what I feel comfortable and and obviously doing what I what I what I'm legally allowed to do. Right? Yeah. Well, this is where you're you're far too sensible uh, for your own good. I was hoping to get a bit of a juicy conversation there where you oh, talking about. It's like you know, a tailgater. I, I, I brake check them and absolutely. Uh, I, I wind on the throttle. Absolutely. That's the sort of thing that we're looking for. A bit of controversy. No, I, 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 <laughs> I like your mindset. I do like your mindset. There's, there's a couple of things to think about with tailgaters. Um, generally speaking, tailgaters don't realize that they're tailgating. That's the first thing that you need to get into your head. So if they don't realize that they're tailgating, you getting angry about it, so I, I guess I'm saying this to the wider populace rather than necessarily to Raymond, who, who is an eminently sensible young man. Think of these coils very nicely. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, I will tell you what, I'll shut up. You give me a commentary on the road surface. Uh, change in road surface. Yes. Yeah. left hander. Uh, gravel in the centre of the road. Lots of missing rocks on the road. Very smooth surface there. Mm-hmm. We're into the windy bit on the southern side of Kakariki Hill Road, and it's definitely uh, the road surfaces is not amazing. It's definitely well trodden. Uh, those last, the, this series of corners is actually a good example where uh, the, the the wider line would probably be the less prudent one to take. That you'd be looking at more neutral, more central line, and just bleeding off a bit of speed. So you're mitigating for those uh, center line crossers by giving yourself more time as you go around, and you're choosing for the the stability of the bike really and, and not so much today it's a beautiful day it's been dry but if you come up this road and it's uh, wet it's an entirely different proposition when you get onto those shiny patches this road when it's wet is, is not a road that I'd probably do when it was wet to be no. sure not for the reason that I'd, I'd be scared or worried to do it no. I would do no. it but more it just it's just not fun well that's the thing we want we want to enjoy what we're doing and if you're putting yourself into a, a position where you're 
compromising things from your own enjoyment or personal safety point of view, I, I, it, it's not really fun. There's, there's enough, there's enough to contend with without deliberately choosing those scenarios. This is one of the fun stretches. You're asking me which bit's good. He's into a lovely rhythm. He got left, right, left, right. He seemed, seemed very at ease there by taking advantage of the MT-07 superior handling characteristics. And I find that if you get wound up behind the bars, your arms tense up, your elbows yeah. locked, and you just don't, uh, you don't have as much control. So I always try and keep uh, soft hands, soft elbows. And the beauty of, of the MT-07 with the nice wide bars is I can just flick it into a corner if I want. I mean, a lot of bikes have good handling these days, but... I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a bad bike in, in many ways. And I, I guess it all depends on what you want to do. Most bikes will handle most situations. It's more to do with the rider eh, than, the, than the bike itself, or how light the pipe is. So yeah, we were talking about tailgaters there, and we've lost our tail, fortunately. But um, I, I, I would commend you on your, your approach to that. But sometimes the, the, uh, the best thing to do is if somebody wants to travel faster than you're traveling, then just let them do it. If you were in a long line of traffic and it was a little bit more difficult to let a tailgater get past you, there's not necessarily a safe place for you to move over, say, or to come to a stop to let them pass. Is there anything else that you might be able to do to preserve that safety bubble that we're talking about? And do you want the right answer or the wrong answer? Uh, I just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> flipping him the bird is, let's, let's accept that's not the right answer. <laughs> I, I guess, uh, from my point of view, the, the, the best thing you can do is get out of that situation. If you're not comfortable with the people around you, get out of that situation. And that extends further than just motorcycling, that extends to life. It, you, you're, you're not feeling particularly safe to go any faster, or maybe it's illegal to go faster. Oh, that was a bad choice. And he's over the line. Uh, what what would what would you suggest you do? Well, as I say, that, that going back to the old frustrating answer of it depends. So if you're in a line of traffic, so you, you've got traffic in front of you, you've got someone tailgating behind you and they're putting some pressure on you. You're traveling at the legal speed and there's not really anywhere for you to get out of the way. A, a very useful technique that we, we found for, uh, for dealing with this is that um, you simply give yourself a little bit more space between you and the vehicle in front. So you can't control what the tailgater is doing, but you can control what you're doing. So if you give yourself a little bit more space between yourself and the vehicle behind, in front of you, uh, what that means is if something happens, and it's always the if thing we're worried about here, if something happens, that means you have to come to a stop. Because you've allowed a greater distance between you and the vehicle in front, then you can afford to brake a lot a lot slower and that gives the tailgater more time in order for them to come to a stop. So really that's a that's a holding pattern maneuver until such times as you get to a place where you can get out of the way and let them get past. But your priority remember is always your bubble preservation. In a situation like we were having there today, the two of us are riding together, someone's putting a lot of pressure. If you're riding at the speed limit, what I would do then is I would drop back further 
from you, okay? Give myself a little bit more distance. And then if something happens where you have to really put the, the brakes on, I don't have to do it quite so quickly because I've allowed an even greater following distance between the two of us. Then as soon as we get to somewhere like this, then we get out of the way. But we've preserved our safety bubble the whole way as we go along there. Will we take a break? Yeah, let's do that. We've made, uh, made it to the top of Paikakiki Hill Road on what appears to be an absolutely magical day across the Carpenty Coast. Beautiful view out to Carpenty Island. Can we see the South Island here? Oh, we can. Hello, South Islanders. I know we ignore you a bit too much. So at the top of the Paikakirihi Hill Road, we stopped for a quick chat and then resumed our ride talking about a couple of bikes that pulled up while we were up there, one being an Africa Twin. And this moved us into a conversation about bike electronics. I really like those Africa Twins. I'm not a big fan of the, uh, the fancy the model you can get with a fancy clutch or something. But. Yeah, the DCT. Yeah. One of our members writes, actually a couple of our members write them, and they definitely need uh, some adaptation in terms of your uh, aspects of the, your riding technique. But they're, uh, they're a lovely machine. I wouldn't fault, I mean, this bike is pretty much laden with it, which is fine until it goes wrong. <laughs> that's, that's my fear, is when the uh, electronic suspension or something like that starts to, to play up. What, what sort of a bill will Mr. BMW dealer hand me? But, what year is that? It's a 2016. So the only now, thing is... Now they've got the R1200, uh, 1250 yeah? Correct, correct. So the only thing this doesn't have in terms of options is cornering ABS. So it has uh, the multiple ride modes, which affects the throttle response, the traction control and the ABS, each setting. I've got cruise control. I've got uh, traction control, which I can set manually or just go for the modes. And I've got uh, electronically adjustable suspension, which is good for setting preload and then uh, dumping rates at the touch of a button, which is great. Uh, if you if you know how to use it or remember to use it, but I also get slightly concerned that it'll stop working one day and I'll just have to cry. <laughs> this bike, uh, this MTO7 being one of the first ones, doesn't even have ABS. Oh really? Okay. Nothing. I'm very fond of ABS because I appreciate good braking technique. Having spent a lot of time in a car park with Andrew Templeton yelling at me to go faster before I brake on a non-ABS bike, I really appreciated what good technique will do. You can very rarely replicate a car park exercise in the real world if you get into a panic situation. So I tend to be a fan of ABS. And it's such a well-developed technology now. I suppose the advantage of this bike over yours is I have the option at least. That'd be one of the many advantages of your bike over mine. <laughs> but the disadvantage is that it's very heavy, which is not a problem when you're riding it. It's a problem when you've got panniers and luggage for a couple of weeks and you're parked on a sloping driveway and you go and try and get the darn thing up off a side stand. Then you realize that your joints and bones are a bit older than they used to be. <laughs> when I take the luggage, off this, I've got the the, uh, the original, you know, the soft panniers, the Yamaha yeah. bags that I have. I've recently put the um, 
Ventura Evo system on the back. Yeah. When I take everything off this, man, it feels like a sports bike. Yes. Been so much lighter. Okay, I'll make a, a, a nice positive comment there that you show what we call good restraint. So we were approaching the sign that says after the sign you're entering a 100k zone and you managed to restrain yourself from rolling on until we had passed that sign and we're actually in the 100k zone. Uh, there's an awful lot of uh, our drivers and riders see the sign maybe 50, 100 meters in front of them and be immediately begin to accelerate and for that 50 or 100 meters they're actually breaking the speed limit to the extent that they're doing 100 when they pass. If you're at 50 and you're doing 100, you have given yourself for a police officer to disqualify you for 28 days, and uh, that's not a good thing, really. I mean, a lot of things are down to the discretion of the officer for the value of waiting that one or two extra seconds to actually get past the sign. What you know? What what's the problem? Of course, the other thing is on a motorcycle we have two distinct advantages uh, in terms of. Uh, are, are related to other vehicles in that we're a lot more maneuverable and we're, we have a heck of a lot more acceleration. So if you're coming out of a 50 and you go into a 100 zone, you can get to roll on and, and uh, really take advantage of that ability to uh, accelerate. And, you know, who doesn't like a bit of gratuitous acceleration? <laughs> or uh, when I used to do this road commuting, a bit of gratuitous engine braking. Now, you mean, yes. I mentioned engine braking earlier and you said there was a conversation we were going to have about that. Yeah. I'm coming up to a 50k zone and the Plymouth and roundabout. So now's where I start dropping the gears and I can go into this roundabout without actually tucking the brake. Yes. But what, 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 what's the problem with that? Uh, the problem is uh, you've got to take into account the vast majority of our vehicle fleet uses an automatic transmission and therefore people are not working up and down through the gears. Therefore they're using the brakes all the time for, for deceleration purposes. So a lot of our drivers are conditioned to respond to the brake lights of the vehicle in front. Use engine braking on your motorcycle, then you're not necessarily giving any indication via the brake lights to following vehicles that you are in fact slowing down. And depending on the machine that you're on, that engine braking might be more pronounced in some models than others. And you might have potentially some very aggressive braking happening under engine braking. And you're not actually giving any information to the guy that's coming behind you who's waiting for your brake lights to come on. Does that make sense so far? Yes, it does, yes. So, Am I saying that you don't use engine braking? Uh, no. What I'm saying is to help yourself, it's best to give some information to anybody coming behind you that you are actually braking. So as you know, most of our machines, you can take up the slack in either the foot brake, or the rear brake, or the front brake without actually engaging the brakes per se. The easiest thing in the world would be to give a little flick of light without actually using the brakes and yeah, just like what you're doing right now. So you're not actually braking, but you're activating your light and you're letting following traffic know, hey, I'm about to slow down. And uh, you're making life a lot easier for yourself. So that's part of the taking, using, and giving information. So if we go through the steps of the roadcraft system, it all begins with gathering information. 
and or it begins with information full stop, I should say, and information is about taking it, using it, and giving it. So as well as knowing yourself what's going on around you, you need to let other road users know what you're doing, what your intentions are. So things like brake lights and indicators, uh, that's what that's all about. Even your position, you know, the fact that you're looking in your mirrors, we were talking about tailgaters earlier on, that's something else that you can do. If you sort of look on a regular basis in your mirror, that movement might draw attention to the driver behind you that they are actually following too close. Remembering that the majority of people don't intend to tailgate, they don't even realize they're tailgating, and that movement, that body positioning that you're doing might actually be enough information that you're giving them to say, hey, you know, I'm not comfortable with where you're sitting. So we go from information, then the next thing that we consider is uh, position, so that relates to where we're sitting on the road. Uh, the next thing we want to consider is our speed. Uh, then we need to consider our gear, so is the gear appropriate to the speed? And then the last part of the system is what we call acceleration. So acceleration can include the rolling on, the, the moving away, but it's, it's relating to um, our throttle control and what's going on. So if we're negotiating a corner, which is our hazard, okay, so for the, 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 you've taken an information that there is a corner, that it's going around to the right-hand side, so you choose a position more towards position one, uh, you're selecting uh, a gear that's appropriate, that's responsive for you to go around that uh, corner at an appropriate speed, so that helps you to set the appropriate speed to enter the corner. And your acceleration begins even when you're going through that corner, because as all the instructors will tell you, the most stable way to negotiate a corner is if you've got a nice steady throttle. So if you've got a positive throttle, then the bike will settle in the suspension. The bike's uh, uh, suspension will work best to go around that corner. Then as you apex the corner, you can then further develop that acceleration by rolling on as the corner straightens out. And then you begin the cycle again. So you're gathering more information. You're selecting your position, speed, gear, and your acceleration uh, to manage that uh, hazard. And you keep going through that cycle. And the thing that's always being sought is additional information. So you've made some decisions and you're still collecting information. So we're going around the corner here and we're making a decision about our position for this left-hand corner that's coming up. Some information might be that a car comes around that corner completely on the wrong side of the, uh, the center line. So you have to reappraise. So you have to shift your position. You have, may have to change gear. You may have to change your speed uh, in order to uh, mitigate for that change in circumstances, if that makes sense. That was great. Uh, enjoyed that ride. Just briefly, do you, how, how do you think that went overall in terms of what you were anticipating and what actually happened? It was a lot more relaxed than I expected it to be. Um, I was, I was kind of, I had in my head, you know, the, the pressure of the CBTA testing. Yes. Uh, which uh, you put me at ease right at the start, saying, you know, we're not here to, to tell you you're wrong, it's more of a uh, working with you and, and, and suggesting things. It's good to be reminded of things, you know, head checks. Head checks are probably my biggest downfall that I can think of at the moment. Uh, and I remember uh, going, you know, 
What I want to step through here now, um, I'll just show you the, the run sheet that we use to give feedback to associates after we've done an observe run. This is not a bag you opportunity, this is just a chance, hey, based on what I've observed and judging it against the standard that is required by Roadcraft and no one or no nothing else, then this is the, this is the feedback that we're going to so moving on to you and your own personal awesomeness, which I'm now going to reinforce um, to a great degree. So I will spend a bit of time thinking about the first section, which is uh, safety. I like the way you think and the way that, that thinking is demonstrated in, in your approach to writing. So the fact that you are making a conscious effort to look around you on a fluid basis, that you're not I'm looking at one car in front of me. You're shifting your focus and we call that hazard awareness. We can also tie that into what we call forward observation. So that's really good from, from, a, from a standpoint. Um, as I say, that, that's, that's a really clear indicator that you've had exposure to the CBTA system of training and assessment, which is very much has roadcraft embedded in it. And that's what we're looking, that's what the instructors are looking for during the assessment process is uh, we'll call it uh, commended, not necessarily following through in terms of uh, observing your two-second rule, the preservation of the safety bubble. For the most part, it's okay. But that little bit that I saw where we were in close traffic, I would say, again, it's not a deal breaker. It's not that you're inherently dangerous, but in terms of preserving your personal safety, think about that the next time you're, you're following close through the traffic. Have I given myself enough space? Something was to happen to your three cars and, and the person that I'm depending on immediately in front of me to make a decision. Uh, if they don't see it until too late, then I don't respond until it's too late. Will I still be able to get pulled up on time? That kind of question you need to be asking yourself. By following too closely, you are putting your decision-making process in someone else's hands. That's very well put. That and the um, the head checks. I mean, we've had that conversation for most of the morning. You were very honest. You identified that that was something that had been commented on before. Um, you've identified enough. I don't think that I need to give you specific examples because you you identified them as they were coming along. That's not to say that there were no head checks. Yes, you were head checking. Not as often as you might do. A cop's not going to pull you over and give you a ticket for not doing a head check. But the cop might be scraping you up off the road because you don't do the head check. And I think so my, my, my black spot as far as head checks goes is the low speed intersections yeah. and pulling away from stops yeah. to give ways. Yeah. I mean, changing lanes are always because yeah. you don't want to sideswipe someone. Yeah. But, um, well, there are times when it's obvious and there are times when it's less obvious. And I guess... Yeah, it's those less obvious ones that are more likely to... In fact, yeah, you, you could, you, you're going down a street that you go down all the time. There's a vehicle or a another motorcyclist or a bicycle uh, person. Is that the, the correct word? A cyclist uh, or even a fast-moving pedestrian or someone on one of these electric scooters. Uh, I mean, those things can boogie, and you're going through the middle of Wellington or, or Upper Hutt or anywhere that those things are available. That's someone that might have been on the footpath as you went past, but they've decided to join the road.
to negotiate that particular intersection, which they frequently do, and you don't see them in your mirror, and you'll probably win that particular interaction, but you don't need that stress in your day. So the, the comment that I would make there is uh, think about hitchhikes, and, and you're quite right, it's at those low speed, potentially, um, it's easy to dismiss them as low risk scenarios, but there's still risk, even though it's low. So if you want to know more about IAM, iam.org.nz. It is a registered charity. They're also on Facebook, Institute of Motorists, IAM New Zealand. Check them out. And uh, if you get the opportunity, definitely go on a observed ride or just um, get involved in a Ride Forever course. It's all about upskilling and making sure that you get home at the end of the day and we all get home at the end of the day. And of course, those Ride Forever courses, uh, they don't always cost you money. It was $50 last time I heard, but then you can get uh, promo rates all through the year where it doesn't cost you anything. So uh, get involved and upskill. Make sure that you get home at the end of the day nice and safe and that your pride and joy, which, you know, costs a fair bit to buy a motorbike, uh, gets home unscathed. Hit that subscribe button. That'd be fantastic. If you like this episode, hit the like button and share this podcast with a writing buddy of yours. That would, oh, we would absolutely love you for that. I've been Ray. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on. We will catch you in seven days' time.